Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. It was 1953 that Walt Disney made an awesome real estate deal when he purchased 200 acres of property 25 miles from Los Angeles. In 1953, the property was farmland and Victorian homes. Today, it's known as Anaheim, California. And it's the home of Disneyland. I've been there. It was a great real estate deal purchase for him. Another great real estate purchase, New York City's Manhattan Island. In 1626, Peter Menuet, the general director of New Netherland, purchased Manhattan Island from the Native Americans for goods equaling 60 guilders, or get this, 24 buckaroos. Now that, to me, is a good deal. 24 bucks for Manhattan Island. I'll give you 48. I'll double it. Another great deal. Thomas Jefferson purchased 800,000 square miles north of the Mississippi River from Napoleon for $15 million. But I would have to say... By far, the greatest real estate deal ever made in the history of mankind is the one we read about here in Revelation chapter 5. The real estate is the planet Earth, and the one who purchased it is Jesus Christ. And the price he paid, you know, his own blood. Now, if you haven't been with us over the last several weeks, or you have, you know that we have been caught up in heaven with John, with John the Apostle, and there in chapter 4. And it's interesting to me that uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel were given a vision of heaven, but John is interesting to me that he gets to go to heaven, and he finds himself there before the throne room of God, in the throne room of God. And, and the majesty and the mystery and the beauty of the throne room, it's just awesome. Now, as you look at the the, the view of Revelation, you can see that from chapters 1 through chapter 3, John is setting the stage, or or Jesus is setting the stage. In chapter 4, the curtain is lifted. And here in chapter 5, the drama begins. The theme of chapter 4 is God sits on the throne. In chapter 5, the Lamb of God is worshipped. Now, let me ask you to get your pen out and get your pad out. I want you to take some notes this morning. As we look at this awesome real estate deal, we're going to consider three areas. Number one, the deed. The deed. We find that in verse one. And then secondly, the dilemma. 
or the problem. We find that in verse 2 through 4. And then finally, last but certainly not least, the deliverer emerges. We find that in verses 5 through 7. So we have the deed. We're going to look at these three areas this morning. We have the deed in verse 1. We have the dilemma or the problem in verses 2 through 4. And the deliverer emerges in verses 5 through 7. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, would you say a hearty amen? Amen. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back. I saw, John says, in the right hand of him, who? Jesus, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back side. Would you underline that in your Bible? Inside and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. The deed. Here in verse 1, the chapter, chapter 5, continues with the church in heaven. You can see in your Bibles or many of your translations, you'll see the word and. John says, and I saw in the right hand. And. That word and is actually a connective or a conjunctive. That means that chapter 5 connects with chapter 4. In chapter 4, we know that John is in heaven. So here in chapter 5, the church is still in heaven. And John says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Now, these scrolls. Let's talk about that for a second. The scroll, the ancient scrolls, were made of papyrus. P-A-P-Y-R-U-S. Papyrus. And they were read horizontally, not vertically. They were read up and down and not side to side. The scroll was held in the left hand and unrolled with the right hand. And as they were reading it and the reading went on, the pre- that which was previously read, that portion was re-rolled. A scroll was eight inches by ten inches written in three-inch columns. And sometimes they were connected together horizontally. Philemon, Jude, 2nd and 3rd John would fit on one single piece of papyrus. A letter like the book of Revelation and what we've been studying, it would take papyrus or a scroll of 15 feet long. Can you imagine if we all came to church with our scrolls of Revelation? We'd, there'd be no room in the church because we'd have to unroll these things. And it'd be like, come on, honey, help me carry my piece. Get the back, you know. That would be what you'd be carrying. 15 feet long. The book of Romans, 11 feet. The gospel of John, 23 feet. The gospel of Matthew, 30 feet. And the gospel of Luke and Acts, 32 feet. Now, usually these scrolls, usually you would write on one side of them because The scrolls of papyrus, they had a smooth side and they had a rough side. So the inside was smooth and you would write on the inside. You'd write on one side. But notice, if you will, look in your Bibles again. Very interesting. In verse 1, this scroll was written on both sides. 
It was written inside and on the back side and sealed with seven seals. Now, the fact that the scroll had writing on the front and the back, it speaks of completeness. It speaks of finality. It speaks of with this scroll, there is nothing else to be added to it. It is what it is. It's complete, finished project. Nothing else is to be added to it. Now, for the next several minutes, we're going to talk about Jewish history. And by no means is it my intent this morning to bore you with Jewish history and Jewish property. But I think that what we need to talk about, I think, lends itself and gives us great insight into these scrolls. In ancient Jewish history, there's a special scroll that they wrote on called a title deed to property or a title deed to a property. A title deed would be written on one side and sealed on one side. And on the inside of that title deed or that scroll, they would list the description of the property, assets, liabilities, you know, plan of the property, whatever it might be. They would put that on the inside of the scroll. They would list that. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 32, this is your homework. Go read it in your own time. Jeremiah 32 talks about Jeremiah purchasing a piece of property that was written in a scroll and sealed with a seal. It was a legal document. Now, if someone purchased a piece of property and you found yourself in some financial trouble or you found yourself bankrupt and you weren't able to make the payments on the property, they would take the title deed and on the back of the title deed, they would write the debt you owed and the reason you lost the property. And it would be sealed with, get this, seven seals. And for the next seven years, if your financial situation changed, Maybe you got a promotion on your job. Maybe you got a big check in the mail. Or maybe somebody left you some money or something like that. If your financial situation changed, then you could go and pay off the debts on that property and you could regain that property. You'd have to go to the elders of the city and petition them to buy the property back and the seals would be broken and you could redeem the property. If you couldn't purchase the property, then a kinsman redeemer or a family member could buy the property so that the property stays in the family. God was very careful to give his people specific directions in how to keep property within the family. We don't know anything about that nowadays. If we got a piece of property and some developer comes in and offers us enough money for it, we'll sell it. But God didn't want that for his land and God didn't want that for his people. So God set up this structure that the people could keep the property in the family. So a family member or a kinsman could buy that property. The Bible calls this person the Goel. G-O-E-L. Real simple. The Goel or the kinsman redeemer or the family redeemer. And the Goel had to meet three basic requirements to be the Goel. Number one, he had to be a relative. He had to be a family member. You could be a distant cousin, cousin Chuck, cousin Mike, 
Auntie Harriet. Everybody has an Auntie Harriet, don't they? But you had to be a family member, number one, to be the Goel. Number two, you had to have the resources to pull the deal off. You had to have the money. And thirdly, he had to be willing to do it. You didn't have to be a Goel. You didn't have to purchase the property. You had to be willing to do it. Number one, a relative. Number two, you had to have the money or the resources. And number three, you had to be willing to do it. Now, we have the story of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Naomi and her husband Elimelech. You probably know the story. They lived in Bethlehem. A famine hit the land, and they moved to Moab with their two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. Later, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and the two sons, they died. And Naomi, 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 she was a a widowed woman. A, a, A widow woman. Not a little woman, but a widow woman. She... Too much Elmer Fudd. It was too, I have had, I'm, I'm drugged out on Elmer Fudd, man. Naomi was a widowed woman, and she had no money. Oh, she decided to go back to Bethlehem, and she told her daughters in law to stay in Moab so that they could remarry. And then that's where her daughter in law, Ruth, She said these very famous and very beautiful words. Matter of fact, we had a wedding yesterday. That's why the big flowers are down there. We had a wedding yesterday, and and, and the bride chose these words to say to her husband during her wedding vows. She got them from Ruth. That's when Ruth said to Naomi, she said, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people. See, aren't those beautiful words? Well, Naomi said, Ruth said those words to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and so they returned together. Now, Naomi was poor, as I said, and wasn't able to redeem the property that they lost when they left Moab. So Ruth went to work in the field, and get this, it's a God thing, God thing, God thing. Ruth goes to work in the field, and she finds herself just happening to, happen to work in the field of a rich man named Boaz. And Boaz saw Ruth working in the field, probably all sweaty, all grimy, hair's not done, makeup's not on, nails, she hasn't been to the pedicure place or the the manicure place. (laughs) The pedicure, she probably hadn't been in the pedicure place either. She probably had some really gross toenails or whatever, I don't know. Sorry, sorry. Doing the best I can here, you know. And Boaz, he sees her working in the fields, and he says to his his servants, he said, who is that foxy mama in the field? (laughs) Woo, baby. She is fine, you know. And the servants, well, they said, well, that's that's Ruth. That's Ruth. She came back with Naomi. Well, you fast forward the story, you find out that Boaz and Naomi were related. God thing. They were related. Boaz and Naomi. Now notice he was a relative now. He was able and he was willing. He was a relative. He was able and he was willing. And he had fallen in love with Ruth. So it's a package deal. 
He bought the land and he got the girl. Great deal. And that made him able to perform the right of the goel or the redeemer. We have another story in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah's cousin asked him to perform the right of the goel or the kinsman redeemer. And at first, Jeremiah didn't want anything to do with this piece of property. He thought it was worthless. As a matter of fact, he knew that they were going into captivity and he didn't want to purchase the property. He thought, well, just forget it. We're going to go into captivity. And God showed Jeremiah that he should take the property because at the time that Jeremiah was actually, you know, being requested to take the property, it was of, of no value. But God said, take the property because when you come out of captivity, the property will be very valuable. Look that up in your own time. It's in Jeremiah chapter 32. Now, again, I'm not trying to bore you with details about Jewish history and Jewish property, property, but I think this gives us some insight into what these scrolls are. Now, let me just say for the record, let me go on record to say that there are many, many differing opinions as to what are these scrolls and what is written in them. Many, 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 many different opinions throughout the centuries. Commentators have suggested different ideas. Some think the scroll is the Old Testament or the Old and the New Testament together and and or fulfilled prophecy. Some think the scroll is God's claim of divorce against Israel. Can't buy that. Some think the scroll is God's sentence against the enemies of the church. Some think the scroll is the text of the book of Revelation or the next few chapters. Now, I can't buy that either because it's open. The book of Revelation is open, and and, and we know what's in this scroll because we're reading it and studying it this morning. So I can't buy that either. Some believe, and I agree, the scrolls are the title deed to the planet Earth. The scroll represents the title deed to all the father promised Jesus because of his sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary's cross. We know that God promised that Jesus would inherit the earth. We know that for the sacrifice that he made, Jesus is going to to redeem the earth and Jesus is going to inherit the earth. Psalm chapter two, verse eight, referring to Jesus, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Hebrews chapter one, verse two, Jesus is the heir of all things and it is Jesus Christ who is our kinsman redeemer and the kinsman redeemer of the entire earth. He will, he, Jesus, will regain what was lost. What was lost? The earth. When was it lost? Well, you know the story again from your Sunday school. What was lost is the title deed to the planet of the earth. Oh, you remember in the garden, Adam was given dominion and made steward over the earth and given dominion over the earth and was told to multiply and was told to subdue the earth. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they went into spiritual bankruptcy. And Adam forfeited his right to ownership over the earth and he handed over the title deed to the earth to the devil. And because Adam gave over that title deed to the, of the earth to Satan, this gives him the right. Satan, he rules over the earth. Satan governs over this earth and over this world system. 
Satan is the God of this world. Now, yes, the Bible does teach the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yes, it is. And the Bible does say that God is on the throne. We know that. And, and he's still in control. Amen. Yeah, we know that, but we also know that this present world system is not of God. It is of the devil. This present world system and what you see in the world today is not of God. It is not of God. It is not of God. It is of the devil. Satan, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan is called the God of this age. John chapter 16, verse 11, and John 12, 31, Satan is called the prince of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So right now, Satan is governing the planet. You might remember the story in Matthew chapter 4. Look that up in your own time. Satan took Jesus up on a high mountain, and he says, Jesus, look out, look out over there. And Jesus is looking, and Satan says to Jesus Christ, he says, if you will bow down to me, he says, I will give you all of this. All of this can be yours if you will bow down to me, Satan said. Now, you want to note, when you go look it up in your own time, and I'm confident you will, you will note that Jesus did not say to Satan, Satan, you can't do that. He didn't say that. Why? Because he is in temporary control of this earth. Jesus never refuted him. Jesus never told him, Satan, you can't do it. It's not yours to give. He never said that. Now, if I were to take you up on the Blue Ridge Mountains, or maybe the Appalachian chain of mountains, and I tell you, look out among you. Everything you see out there, I will give it to you if you bow down to Rodney. Right? That's pretty funny, isn't it? Y'all like, huh. It's funny. Why? You would say, Rodney, you are nuts, man. You are one fry short of a happy meal. Man, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. Lights are on. Nobody's home. You are sick. Why? Because it's not mine to give. That's why. It's not mine to give. But Satan could offer it because he is temporarily in ownership of it. And notice what Jesus said. Satan says, bow down to me. I'll give you all this. Jesus said this. He said, it is written. Now, that's interesting for you to note and for me to note that there Jesus is doing battle with the devil. And what does he say to Satan? He says, it is written. In other words, Jesus is saying it's in the Bible. And what does that tell us? If we find ourselves in a battle with the devil, listen, don't fight him with your own words because your words have no power. Your words have no power. The Bible says it is the word of God that is quick and living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is power. So you find yourself in battle with the enemy, with Satan, and what do you want to do? You want to quote the word of God just like Jesus. Just do what Jesus did. He said, it is written, then he went on to say, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God in him only shall you serve. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, the Bible says, I am to worship my father and serve him only, and I will not bow down to you, even though you offer me the world. And this also gives us a bit of insight as to why the world is all messed up. Have you noticed? The world is all messed up, and the world is messed up not because God messed up the world. Satan messed up the world. The problem with the world is not God. It's Satan. You know, people, why God would, why would a loving God do this? And why would a loving God do that? And even in your insurance policies, if you have a, a hurricane comes blowing through and you file for insurance, you know what they put it under the category of the, an act of God. What's up with that? Why does all the bad stuff happen to be an act of God? People blame everything on God as if God is the cause of this messed up world. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.